and welcome to episode 10 of Roleplay Grow, the podcast for tabletop entrepreneurs, creators, and fans. I am Courtney Stover of Lighthearted Adventures, and in this podcast, we talk to the creators behind the brands and the tabletop roleplay gaming space about who they are and how they are turning their passion for gaming into a career. Yeah, we are at 10 episodes. I know that doesn't seem like a huge number, but when you start an endeavor like this as a newcomer to an industry, there's always that hesitation of, is anyone going to say yes and let me interview them? Is anyone even going to listen to the show? And this episode marks the 10th person who said, yes, I'll chat with you. So to celebrate, I'm doing a giveaway over on Twitter to also support some of the folks who were so kind to come on to some of our first episodes. Here's how it's going to work. Make sure that you are following at LightheartADV on Twitter. The ADV is because of adventures and Lighthearted Adventures is apparently too long of a handle for Twitter. So that's, that's what we want. <laughs> but starting the morning of the day that this episode drops, so April 2nd, we will post a tweet about the giveaway. You will want to follow the instructions on that tweet to enter. And then a week later on April 9th, I will draw a winner for a D20 shaped candle from the Fabled Flame. If you remember, that was Kendra that we interviewed back in episode four. Her candles are really amazing. They are shaped like D20s. They're really cool. But the more retweets that we get, the more prizes that there will be. For every 50 retweets, we'll unlock more prizes up to five total prizes. So if we get 50 retweets, I'll also draw another winner for some tea from Friday afternoon tea. If we get 100 retweets, I'll draw a third winner to receive a glass from MC Etching. 150 retweets will add a fourth winner to receive a dice bag from today's guest. And if y'all go wild and we get 200 retweets or more, a fifth and final winner will receive a quarter page battle map commission from us here at Lightheart Adventures. I'll give you a heads up too that you'll get a bonus entry by showing a screenshot and a comment of that tweet showing that you are subscribed to this podcast. So make sure you click that subscribe button. Again, I just really want to say thank you all for hanging out here and coming back and listening to new episodes each week. And it just really means a lot. It's always a little nerve wracking putting something out into the void. And I've really been appreciating the feedback that I've gotten from those of you who have reached out on Twitter or Discord or Patreon. And I just, uh, it, it feels really good to know that y'all are listening to this and finding some value. But okay, let me tell you about today's guest. I had a really great time chatting with Danny Gage, dice bag maker and designer of Hoop and Loom. We discussed the unique bags that she makes, the logistics of her Etsy shop, including going into a discussion about an integration with a platform called Printful, designing for another print-on-demand service like Redbubble, and she gives some really good tips on keeping shipping more affordable. Danny was really fun to chat with, and I hope that you enjoy today's episode. For a quick shout out, as a reminder, we are affiliates for some really great companies, which are all going to be linked on the show notes here. But one of those companies is Dice Envy. If you are looking for some shiny math rocks, you will find a really great selection of designs and materials over at DiceEnvy.com. They are constantly putting out new designs, so there are definitely some folks to follow. And then whenever you do buy yourself some more dice from them, use the code LIGHTHEARTADV 
to get 10% off your order, support the show and get some really gorgeous dice. All right, let's go meet Danny. Hello, and it is time to say welcome to our guest, Danny Gage, dice hello. bag maker and designer of Hoop and Loom. Hey, Danny. <laughs> hey, hello. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's a nice, relaxing morning, and yeah, I'm excited to hang out with you. Yeah, I know. It's. I feel like spring is finally starting to peek its head out. I hope yeah, that it stays. It is. It's super nice. It's like it's got. We get a, like a, some sprinkles here in Southern California, and so it's been nice to have some rain. Oh yeah, I I'm the opposite. It, I'm in Oregon, and it's been raining oh, forever. Yep, <laughs> it just doesn't stop. <laughs> I'm like, oh, there's a little bit of sun today. It's so nice. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Well, to get started, Danny, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got into the gaming space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, gosh, I, who am I? That's it. <laughs> it feels like one of those like really deep questions. Um, I, I am just a creative and I love to make things and you know, most of my career so far has been in the cheerleading industry, actually. I'm actually uh, just about to exit out of that, but I've done that for like 10 years doing coaching and instructing and judging. And so this little creative side of me is something I've been digging into more in the past, you know, three years. And yeah, I've always been like a closet nerd, (laughs) you know, in high school, I was on the cheer team and, you know, I'd go home and I'd read all my comics and play RuneScape. (laughs) I think the way I got into gaming was when me and my husband first got married, we didn't have a TV. And so we were like, what can we do? And we ended up visiting a board game shop and just falling in love with board games. And, you know, it kind of just escalated from there into TTRPGs. And now we're just full on gamers. (laughs) Do you remember what the first board games were that you found there? Oh, my goodness. Um, there was one called, I think just dungeons and it's like a a D and D game where you kind of like kick down doors and fight monsters through a dungeon crawl kind of thing. And then, gosh, what was our other, there was like one other game that we got when we first played it. They looking back now, they, they weren't like the best games, but for some reason they totally grabbed us and, and sucked us in. That's fair. I remember when I first started dating my husband and the first time that he took me to a board game shop, I was like, yeah, I mean, I played board games growing up. I played Monopoly. And I walked in and was like, oh my gosh, there's so many There are, and there's so many cool, like, like cooperative board games. I had never known those existed. And those are some of my favorite games now. Yeah. How big would you say your collection is? Uh, Oh, gosh. You know, it's moderately sized. We have like a (laughs) small closet that is stuffed full of (laughs) of games. (laughs) I I, Gosh, I don't know a number. Maybe like uh, off the top of my head, maybe 30. Okay. You know, various sizes, some chunky ones. We got some chunky boys in there. We got some smaller games that are really light. For when you don't feel like rereading like a 30-page rule book. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So then that eventually kind of turned into some tabletop RPGs. Yeah. My my husband actually, we dragged his brother into like our board game obsession. And so for his brother's wedding, they were like, hey, let's do 
a Dungeons and Dragons bachelor party. And they had never played Dungeons and Dragons before. They didn't really read the rule book. <laughs> um, they all dressed up as their characters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and basically just played a mishmash. Who knows what game it really was. <laughs> but they had a lot of fun and that's what mattered. And about a year later, his brother came back and was like, you know what? I think I would really actually like to try playing it for realsies. And we started a campaign. And then it just kind of went off from there. We played like a year with that group until they all had to move and go to different like states. But yeah, that's that's how that started. <laughs> okay. So what are you playing these days? We're still playing a lot of D&D, probably too much. Um, <laughs> you know, with quarantine, you get a lot of extra time. His brother got us a board game for Christmas. That's pretty fun that we've been playing called Tapestries. It's like a kind of resource management game where you you start off in the Stone Ages and then you kind of go throughout history and you build a civilization. And like the idea is like the tapestry of civilization that you create. So it, it's cool and it's fun. And we kind of get to have fun playing and telling stories through that game. And, you know, there's some like, have you heard of the Oregon Trail card game? Oh my gosh, that's so hard. <laughs> I just picked that one up yesterday it, from somebody who was just like getting rid of their board game stash. And so, yeah, that's a that's a difficult game, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have ever won that game without cheating no. horrendously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, maybe <laughs> we can cut corners here. And you're like iffy about it. <laughs> but <laughs> I totally know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's just very, very hard. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to see all the amazing uh, number of ways that you can die. Yes. <laughs> okay, so your background was started off with cheerleading, became a cheerleading coach. You were being a closet nerd that whole time. <laughs> Eventually got into board games and then D&D. &D. Yeah. So... I want to pivot a little bit and ask about Hoop and Loom. Um, can you just start by telling us a little bit about what it is and what you're selling? Yeah. So Hoop and Loom is my Etsy business. I also have like a uh, red bubble and I'm currently trying to take this way more to like just commissions and um, maybe just making my own website because Etsy does take a ton of fees. But I basically sell dice bags and other nerdy things. I'm trying to take it some other places, you know, with like COVID, there's been a lot of time to be like, wow, how can I revamp this and change it up a little bit? So I'm trying to think of different ideas I can kind of expand outwards. But for now, I just do the, the dice bags, making custom commissions for those and designing like stickers and notebooks through Redbubble. So how did you get started with this? Ooh, so... As many people who play D&D know, there's a show called Critical Role, and I remember being like, wow, there's other girls who play D&D. This is really cool. And uh, I also only had one set of pink sparkly dice, for, and you know, seeing that people had whole collections of them, Laura Bailey, I <laughs> started to, to develop, you know, a little bit of a, a, a dice collection, and I just, you know... I love pockets. I'm one of those girls that loves pockets in my dresses. 
I like mm-hmm. backpacks with lots of pockets. I want pockets everywhere. So I was like, I need a dice bag with pockets because I need to sort all of these dice. And when I looked online, everything was either like out of my price range or there wasn't like a lot of selection. And so I made my own. I made a pattern up and played around with it. And at some point I was like, oh, hey, this is actually really fun. And I enjoy making these. And I think I'm going to start making a bunch of them. That's awesome. Did you have experience with sewing before this? Yeah, I I was like a really crafty kid growing up. Like my mom taught me how to sew by hand and how to like crochet. I taught myself to knit, embroider, weave. So <laughs> I really enjoyed fiber arts and all that. And And I believe I did make like my own OC cosplay when I was younger. I had this like fairy outfit that I made when Halloween. The wings were way too big. But yeah, I've always been in love with sewing and and creating things. And that's actually where I got the name of my uh, shop, Hoop and Loom, because it started off as just doing fiber arts. Okay. So yeah, actually, tell me about that transition. Well, before I was like into all of the, the gaming and stuff. I had already had the Etsy shop and I was doing a lot of like, they're like super popular, you know, like the, the woven tapestries that every, (laughs) every hip home has and doing like macrame and different like embroidered hoops. And so I was having, getting a kick out of those. And so I was trying to sell those on Etsy and that's where I came up with the name Hoop and Loom. And Basically, it wasn't super successful. It was definitely a failure. I mean, they were really cute and all, but I just had no idea how to market myself or like how to create a brand and I hadn't really found my niche. And so that kind of died out. I let it sit for a year. And then when I got around to all the, the fun gaming stuff, I was like, you know what? This this name still fits because I'm still creating things. I'll just keep the name and go from there. That makes sense. So you started with this pattern and started making the bags and selling them. When did the stickers come into play? Ooh, um, that's like, I'm not really sure. I think I just had, was like having fun drawing. And one day I saw something on the internet about passive income. And I was like, wow, that sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And so I said, oh, hey, I might as well just like make some designs and see where that goes. And I haven't done as much of that lately just because been so busy with commissions on their own. But yeah, I drew up some different designs that I thought would be really cute and got them printed, started selling those on the Etsy shop. They did well. Um, and then I learned about different uh, websites like Redbubble where you can just upload it and put it on different things and people can buy it from there. And you get a small cut of the cost basically after they take out production costs yeah like the print on demand services Mm -hmm. print on demand that's it yeah 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 Yeah, there's a lot of companies that do that now curious like you know was there a particular reason that you picked redbubble was it the first one you heard of did you like it just curious about that yeah i think i had just i looked at the different offerings from the different shops like or, or different places you could do that and They seem to have the most variety, and I like that you could also set your prices. Uh, I don't know if other places have enabled that now, 
versus back when I first looked into it. But I did like that you could set how much you wanted it to cost and then you just get a percentage of that. And then it just seemed to be like, I don't know if reputable is the right word, but like it just seemed like more people knew what it was and had a bigger pool of people to draw from than just any other random one. And there are like there's another one I also use actually called Printful that I use for some of the designs on my Etsy shop. Like I have some mugs on there that I put I do through Printful because I don't think Redbubble had mugs like I like and I'm a mug person. So I needed to have those on mugs. <laughs> okay, so for that mug situation with the using Printful instead, mm-hmm. how does that fulfillment work for you then? Printful is a little different than Redbubble. What Redbubble is, is like you have your shop and you can have all your different designs on the items and you, or the customer would buy it directly from Redbubble, right? So they go on there, they find your shop and they buy it from there. And then Redbubble does all the fulfillment and then they just send you like your mm-hmm. cut basically. With Printful, what they do is kind of the same, but you can integrate it into your Etsy shop. And so basically I can put the item listing on my Etsy and you'll see it there. You'll see like the different mug options to buy from. So somebody can buy it from Etsy and then Etsy basically just pay Printful to like do the fulfillment. So it it just has like a little more integration into whatever shop you have versus people going to Printful to have things made if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's a cool integration. So yeah, it's so I would say like Printful is better for people who already have like an established presence or people who want to buy merch for them because then they just go to that person's website versus Redbubble where that can reach anybody. Yeah. And I think the advantage of Redbubble and similar sites like it too, is that you can be just browsing for, oh, I want a t-shirt. What's out there? Yeah, and they have cool stuff that you never realize. Yeah, it's just you get to see all these different artists that you would never have met before. Yeah. Okay. So I want to just dig a little bit more into the steps of, you know, you made your own dice bag. You started to think about maybe I can make this myself and sell it. How long would you say that it took you to get from idea to listing your first dice bags? Ooh, I would say probably about a month. I think I did. I may have done a little bit more. I have a really bad memory. <laughs> so I I believe it was like a month to two months-ish time where I, after I realized I wanted to make dice bags and sell them, I did a lot of research and development. So I made my pattern up. I researched online to make sure that it wasn't copying exactly anything else somebody had already done. And just went through a couple different iterations of, you know, testing different patterns, different ways to do the closures for the dice bag and everything and took the time to really develop it. And I mean, even after I launched the dice bags, it's still like, there's still times where you're like, oh, I think I can do this better. I think it can do this in a way that's like quicker. And so it is kind of an ongoing process, but the the initial chunk of development was about a month. Okay. And how long... After that, did you start doing commissions? You know, pretty soon after. I It wasn't something I had set out to start doing, but I remember one of my first few people that reached out to me asked me if I, I could do something custom. And I was like, I guess, sure. <laughs> and it was like this adorable little dinosaur dice bag. I still have some of the fabric from because I had to buy a large amount of the fabric 
because it was like a custom colored one and all that. It's pretty cool. But yeah, so they reached out. They were like, can you do it? I said, sure. And then it kind of just went off from there. I, I noticed that most of the people that were coming to my shop preferred to have something custom made than just buying it from the shop. So then I kind of took that and redirected my business towards commissions. What kind of customizations are you able to offer? Pretty much... I can do pretty much anything in terms of fabric. I mean, there there is a limit <laughs> at some point because some fabrics really don't want to work with you. Like super stretchy ones are near impossible and they just are really frustrating to work with, including velvets. Velvets are also really tough because they have that high pile that likes to shift everywhere. But it takes a little t- extra time. I can I can do almost any fabric that anyone's looking for. A lot of times... We'll customize it further by like doing charms. I like to do little tassels on the ends of the draw cords because I just think they look so cute and they really add like a little extra flair to the bag that you don't see a lot of times. And you can get pretty wild with the pocket configuration as well. I know at this point I have like, (laughs) I don't even know, maybe 10 different ways to do different numbers of pockets and like Sometimes I even invent new ones on accident by sewing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I Yeah, just so I know this is an audio podcast, but yeah, like to try to visualize is this <laughs> when you say a pocket inside of a dice bag, I mean, you know, you normally think at a dice bag as just like this little pouch. Yeah, I'm actually just looking at your Etsy shop too. But how how are you doing the pockets? Is it like a divider? Is it on the side? Yeah. So I guess the first thing I'll say is like how I don't do them because people recognize this the most. Like a lot of people, when they see a dice bag with pockets, it's like the circular drawstring dice bag that lays flat and it has like basically another circle sewn on top. And then when you like scrunch it all up, it Mm -hmm. makes pockets, but then the top of the dice bag is super bulky. And roughly, you know, and when I went out to make these, I was like, I don't like all that extra bulk at the top. For some reason, it really bothers me. So I made them like kind of a normal stand up dice bag would be with a circular bottom. So it's like a cylinder with a circular bottom. And then I basically take these kind of like rectangles of fabric and I sew a stack of them together in the middle and they make kind of like this I don't know star I guess and I and I sew all of the edges of those around the cylinder and then I secure the bottoms as well so that they make like a crescent pie shape type pocket in the back does that make sense yeah that's okay okay (laughs) yeah yeah so that's how like most of them go but then I also got even more wild and like (laughs) sewed um pockets like a a strip basically along the side of the lining of the bag and so that when those crescent shapes not crescent like those wedge shapes get sewn on they create basically an additional pocket on top of that so it doubles the amount of pockets (laughs) in the bag so like right now my current configuration like that's has the most pockets is I've got a 16 pocket bag. Oh my gosh. Which sounds like it's not a lot, but they're pretty big pockets. So <laughs> they hold a lot of dice. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of pockets. <laughs> it's a lot of pockets, <laughs> but hey, makes your organizing heart happy. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I really need to get some more dice bags. I, <laughs> I My dice are just all over the place right now. 
(laughs) (laughs) See, I mean, that's why it's so great because then you can just feel like, hey, I'm going to dig my hand in my D8s and just toss a whole bunch of dice and they're all right there. Or some people like to do it by like dice palette. So they'll do all of their like blues and purplies in one or, you know, sort it by colors. And it's, it's just whatever, whatever way somebody likes to organize, there's a pocket for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. You mentioned dice ballot a couple of times. And I recently, like there's a couple of dice sets that Brett and I got from one of the companies we're an affiliate with. And so I was like, okay, we have pictures. And we're like, well, I don't know who's going to be whose. And we just kind of randomly laid claim to some. And then there was this one set that I was like, the set doesn't go with all my other dice. It's yours. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, no, I, got, I, got, I totally do I didn't even realize I had a palette going, but I do. So we're going to stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does your dice palette look like? Um, So favorite colors are purple and turquoise. So <laughs> you know, I've got a lot of purples and there's like this one set that's like black and white inked kind of stuff. And so it goes really well with Ooh. a couple of sets I have that are like black and purple and then mm-hmm. there's like gorgeous metal set that I just got for Christmas. It's like black and blue oh. and just, uh. Ooh, <laughs> I love it. I feel like our, our dice palettes would be really complimentary because I like like light blues and pinks and purples. Mm-hmm. So just like really be friends with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers, that's that's the real reason I'm doing this podcast. I just want to be friends with everybody. <laughs> we just want to talk about nice to be friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking about business. I mean, be my friend. What? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Friendship is the best. So I'm all about that. Awesome. Okay. So how long does it take you to make a dice bag? Okay. <laughs> I think I've thought through this so many times. I, I, I have a while, like, I'm everywhere when I make bags. Like, I can't usually make one at a time because I can't go back and forth between different things. A lot of times I'll be, like, sewing on one part and then installing eyelets on another. And I just, I, I'm deep in the chaos of bag making and just, it's not linear. <laughs> so... When I have tried to like time how much time it takes to make a dice bag, it's not super accurate because I'm doing different things when I do. So, but from what I can estimate, it probably if I were to sit down and work on one bag and not move, it'd probably take about three hours for one that had like a lot of pockets. Okay. So is it more that you're typically making a few at a time, like in bulk. So you're doing the same step. Yeah. Okay. I did used to do like the same step over and over kind of, you know, the, um, assembly line process, but then I get like stuck on it. I don't know how to explain it. I I will say that I believe I'm pretty sure for the past three years, I'm pretty sure that I have like inattentive ADHD. And so I get stuck on things that there's no reason to be stuck on them. And so So yeah, I think part of the reason I do really well with just like a really chaotic process is because there's always something to like keep me interested or move on to if I get stuck on something else. But yeah, that's, that's, that's why I, what I believe is the reason that process is so wild. Fair enough. (laughs) So then when you have a custom request, do you wind up using the leftover fabric to just make more in that same design? Good question. I currently have a giant pile of like cutoffs from different commissions I've done. 
And what I'm trying to do with those is I'm actually trying to make um, some like smaller bags. A lot of times I don't have enough fabric left over for even like a small size bag. So I'm making just like dice palette size ones where you could do like a character's dice palette. I know for some of the people that buy my large bags, they almost they put bags inside of the bag because <laughs> it's ginormous. So they'll end up doing like color or sorry like character dice in a bag in their giant dice bag and they'll have that all separated out that way so yeah so now i'm just taking the extra fabric that i have from some of those commissions and i'm trying to turn it into like really small ones that you know could fit a character and you put like a character dice set in okay so are you typically just buying about as much fabric as you think you'll need just for that commission and not going over yeah because a lot of times there's like People want fabric that isn't necessarily common to be used in other dice bags. Like it's not like a lot of people are like want the same fabric. So usually I'll just buy what I need because it probably won't get used again. And then I'll have a lot of fabric that I'm not using. <laughs> Transitioning a little bit back over, I guess, to Redbubble. So you design all of the patterns that you're making on all of these different products. Mm-hmm. What Would you say is your inspiration for all the different designs that you're making over there? I I don't know if I even really have an inspiration. It's just kind of sitting down and drawing and and being like, hey, what kind of stickers do I want? So I and also, you know, friends have helped too, because I had the line of stickers, like one of them says like dice goblin. And then I had one that said like polyhedral pillager. And so I I remember asking my friends like, hey, what are some like really fun ways you can, I don't know, have like a nickname as like somebody who really loves dice. You know, there's like dice dragons. So I I asked them for ideas and I see what people can come up with. And then I'll let that inspire me and help me with what I want to design. So I have, because I haven't done that in a while and haven't really sat down and worked on more designs, I do have like this folder of unworked on things that people have given me ideas for that are just waiting, waiting to be developed more. <laughs> and yeah, it's just kind of like a, it's a, it's a creative process, you know, it, it, it gets a little messy and then eventually it figures itself out. Yeah. You have some really cute stuff over there. <laughs> Thank you. It's always good to like try to make things that, you know, you would like, because then <laughs> you know, you can keep coming up with more things and then people tend to gravitate towards that. Very true. If you wouldn't even want to wear something or use something. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So is there anything that you'd say that surprised you or that maybe you weren't expecting when you first started using the print-on-demand services, like either with Redbubble or Printful? Mm, Nothing so surprising. I think it kind of worked out the way I thought it would. I do think that you have to really market yourself when you do those things. So there's no such thing as posting too much. I I know that when I know that it feels annoying when you're you're like, hey, check out this. Like, remember that these are available. You know, it feels like you're just annoying people. But for the most part, people just don't remember a lot of time because you know we're scrolling through our timelines and it just you see it and then you forget about it. And so to have that reminder, you're not annoying them. You're just reminding them, oh, yeah, that is really cute. I totally forgot to order that. So that's something that I didn't realize I was going to have to do. It's not something I'm great at and definitely something I need to get better at. But 
for all of you looking to possibly do that, be ready to market yourself and don't be ashamed because it's just, it's part of the process. Yeah. What marketing tips would you say that you've found have helped you over the last couple of years? Hmm. Well, for me, I mostly end up just like, I use pretty much solely my Twitter at the moment. I don't have the energy for other social medias. So I just have Twitter and that seems to be working pretty fine at the moment. You know, whatever social media or platform you use to market, you know, just make sure that you, it's something that you can like sustain. Cause like, I know for me, Instagram is just like a struggle and I just don't do well with it. And Twitter seems to be where I have found it easier to go. So you gotta just got to find your medium, stick to it. If you're really good at other things and can do that as well, that's great. But once you find like your place where you feel comfortable, it just helps to like really lean into that. I found for Twitter, posting links actually doesn't bring as many views for some reason. People want to see and they want it in front of their faces. So it's actually better to post like a picture of the product and then like in the tweet below that you can put the link. But just putting the link, people usually aren't going to click on it. I've noticed the things that perform the best are either just pictures or videos that play automatically. It's never the things that you link to something. Yeah, absolutely. Just because it, it takes time to click on a link and go and you know, people just want to scroll by. So usually you'll want to put the link later on in the post. Yeah, that's really good advice. So I'm curious, across all of the platforms, are there any products that you say have done really, really well um, or like really a lot better than some of the other ones maybe? Not really. I think I think that side of my business is definitely, it's just a supplementary. It it's not something I focus on or even really push all that much. And so it's definitely not the highest performing part of my business. I think it could be if I put more effort into it in like scheduling posts and everything. But I, I don't know if either of them really like earn more than the other. I'd say the part that earns me the most that's not doing Dice Bag is just doing the stickers because I just order those off of like a sticker website and then basically just send those out myself. And I think because I'm doing most of the legwork, they can be a little more affordable than if they were through one of those. And they also give me more money back than any of those would. So those tend to perform way better than anything that's bought through Redbubble or Printful. So for the products that you are shipping yourself, what is your fulfillment timeline and process? Like, What does that look like? So I try to get stuff packaged like as soon as I get an order. Thankfully, the the new place that I've moved to is right across the street from a post office. So it's really cool. I can just like once a day take all my orders and just pop on over. Sometimes, you know, if it's super late in the day, I'll just be like, I'll get that in the morning. But typically I try to just fulfill everything right as it comes through just so I don't forget. Or in case, you know, sometimes Etsy, like it will not always give you the notification. And so I don't want to miss any of those. (laughs) So I do those as soon as I can. I always try to check the website and see if there's any unfulfilled orders, whether I've gotten notifications or not, just so nobody gets skipped over and misses an order. Yeah. I mean, that's great that you're able to jump on them so quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think if I didn't have that ability 
too, I would probably set up some sort of schedule, you know, where every two, two to three days, I would probably take it out to the post office, like if I live further away. But thankfully with where I'm at now, it's it's a non-issue. I feel like anytime I try to, even just a card, if I'm not close to anything to mail it out, it takes yeah. so long. And you know what's really cool about the post office though? Like I recently posted about this on my Twitter and some people were like, whoa, I never knew that, is you can schedule pickups with the USPS. And if you do it during their normal time that they come to your house, it's totally free. You can schedule the time that you want them to come by, but that does cost a little extra. I know some people that live in more in like different areas, depending on their post person, that post person may not ever come. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's like the post office not caring or maybe there's something logistic wise that isn't working out. But in most places, it doesn't seem to be an issue. And it's super convenient for people that just don't have time or the ability to go and go to the post office. And you can buy labels online as well. I don't think you can get first class on the USPS website. I think you can only do priority mail labels on there. But if you have PayPal, you can actually do through like their multi-shipping part of the page. You can get first class labels that are cheaper, though they don't get there as fast. And that's usually what I use for my my clients because dice bags are already kind of spendy. And so <laughs> they don't want to spend a ton of money on shipping either. No one ever really wants to, but no, it's it's annoying. But it is good to be able to support our post office, especially when they're going through all of this stuff. And it, it's really cool that they offer so many, you know, convenience and accessibility options. Yeah, it really is. So you mentioned earlier that you've been using Etsy, but you're thinking about migrating to your own storefront on a website. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about why you're thinking about that? Yeah. So it's been something I've wanted to do for a while. I think a lot of other Etsy shop owners will will kind of know where I'm coming from, but like they always are like tacking on different fees for things. Like I know the latest shenanigans have been that if you make a certain amount of money through your Etsy shop, they then will start advertising for you, you know, through like when people search for things on Google. They'll, they'll give advertisements and you have to pay for that. And it's not, you can't opt out of it. So once you hit that certain like money threshold, they pretty much force you into being advertised. And so I know a lot of makers who really don't appreciate that and are happy doing their own marketing on their own without having to pay for it. There's a whole bunch of different fees that just stack on, like that you always have to account for. Because I know that like, my bags and stuff, my stickers, I'd be able to do those a little bit cheaper if it weren't for all the fees that they put on there. I know there was something else like a couple years ago that people weren't happy about, but for some reason, oh, the shipping. They they prioritized listings that offer free shipping thresholds or whatever. So like, let's say I put on my shop that you get free shipping if you buy $35 worth of goods from here, you know, that listing will be prioritized over somebody who doesn't offer free shipping. And a lot of times people have like this spot, like with shipping and people think that you should be Amazon when you're just a homemade business. And so I I know that was just like 
a really big deal when that came out because people were like, okay, really? You're going to leave us behind if we don't offer free shipping? That's another cost we have to eat or we have to put into our fees. And that just makes people not want to buy from you when your stuff just keeps going up in price. But you have to do it because then you lose money. Yeah. Shipping is so expensive. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is. And they, they can't just ask creators to just eat that cost when you know we're already paying fees and everything. So basically it just has to go into the product, which means the product gets more expensive. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that whole fun cycle. <laughs> yeah, it is a cycle. It's it's wild. But um, so that's largely the reason that I've been looking to want to get off of Etsy and do my own storefront just so that I can get rid of all of that excess stuff that, you know, I didn't have a choice about and be able to just run my business as my business. Yeah, I mean, I think that sounds like a great plan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just got to get around to designing a site and all that. No big. (laughs) I will say it is a lot easier these days than it used to be. I built... That's good. (laughs) I built the first draft of our website in about two days. And then later on when I was like, okay, now that I have a little more familiarity, I like redid the entire thing in about three days. (laughs) Wow. That is encouraging. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I could send you some stuff that makes it a little easier if you want. <laughs> I, I would appreciate that. <laughs> cool. So across all of the this design, whether it's just coming up with designs and putting it out onto Redbubble or making these dice bags, running this Etsy shop over the last couple of years, one question I like to ask everybody is what would you say has been the most challenging part of all of this? Hmm. That's a good question. I think for me... It has been just keeping going. That phrasing sounds funny. It's been continuing to to keep going. Like I get bored of things or frustrated with things and I move on. So usually like with different jobs I've had throughout my life, something will come up that I just like, I can't handle it anymore. And I am like, okay, this is not going to work. And so that's kind of what kept me from doing anything that's like a nine to five because I just can't handle it. And so I think it's why I do really well with a creative job that I can manage. But there is a downside to that as well, which is like when things get really frustrating, like you're dealing with some customer issues or, you know, you have been working at a project for way too long or you're underpaid because I've definitely agreed to projects that I should not have because it just was not enough to be worth my time. Sometimes I can get frustrating and you really don't want to keep going. But I think once I crossed that threshold of just like, I want to give up. And I said, no, I'm going to keep going. That was where I kind of feel like I made it in a way. And it hasn't been as a fight. Like this is where I feel that I need to be now. Are there any things you found in particular that help you to kind of get that motivation back? I think it was just like an internal battle, really. <laughs> We're just, I'm sorry to anyone listening because this is like not really helpful at all. But I just, I had to like talk to myself and just think like, what do you want out of life? And like, what's going to make you feel you're doing something that's fulfilling? And I just kind of came to the conclusion. I was like, I need to stick with this and I need to make this happen. And only I can do that. And uh, this is something I want to work at. So this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I like that. I think sometimes, yeah, I think sometimes like 
I think every creator is probably going to come across that moment, like that make it or break it moment where they're like, well, is this ever going to be successful? Is this worth even trying? And, you know, when you look off that cliff and you think of whether you should jump off or not, I think that you get to that point and, you know, hopefully it works out from there. I hope everything works out. (laughs) We'll see. And I don't know. It's just... I don't know if any of that made sense. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's flip it around and say what has been the most rewarding part of all of this? I think it kind of comes hand in hand. I think think, uh, seeing myself start to be successful in something that I didn't think I would ever be. I think, you know, with with that struggle came like a you're never going to be successful at anything you ever do kind of thought. And Once I got past that, though, and like said, no, I'm going to make this happen. It felt like a bit of a victory. And I'm just like really happy with where I'm at right now. And I think my work has been super fulfilling. And I love seeing how happy it makes everybody, uh, especially when their bags like they've had commissioned for someone they love. That is like what really makes me happy because I could share that joy with somebody like making something for them. And then I get to see the joy that it brings them to give that to somebody else. Yeah, that's really special. Yeah. Are there any upcoming projects or goals that you have that you're really excited about and able to share? Ooh, I mean, I I, I think everything's been very up in the air lately. I, I do know I want to do more projects. With COVID, though, it's been really hard to have like more motivation doing anything extra than what I'm already doing. I... I don't know. I've been considering like doing something with dice. I'm not really sure. I don't want to make dice. I don't want to do that. But I've been thinking about doing something in terms of like, well, what if I do a Patreon? And what if I have like some kind of reward where you can get like a dice of a month and a matching bag or something like that? So I don't really know how that's going to look. I mean, I have to figure out what will be sustainable for me and for patrons. But I am looking into doing a Patreon and I think that that could be, you know, really helpful for, for my business. Yeah. I always feel that Patreon is a really good move. Yeah. You also just get to connect with your community so much more than you can when you're. And I think that's something I miss about like when I first started my business, because I use Twitter as kind of like a community building thing. And I just haven't been getting that as much lately. I don't know if it's because I've gotten like more followers or something, but it just doesn't have the same small feeling that it used to. And I would really love to find a way to find that community again. Yeah. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> we'll see. We'll hope. Well, Danny, thank you so much for coming on today. Technical issues and all. <laughs> oh, no, thank you so much for having me. It was like really fun to talk with you. And it was a highlight of my day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really sweet. Where can people <laughs> find you? You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Danny Ogani, spelled D-A-N-I-Y-O-G-A-N-I. I also have an Etsy shop, like mentioned, Hoop and Loom. Um, and that's honestly pretty much where you'll find me at the moment. Maybe someday you'll find me on Patreon. We will see. But either way, I hope to be there. If you ever, if anybody listening ever has any questions about being a maker or like anything else specific, needing to like narrow down how they price the product, I would love to help you like community before competition is something I believe in and I I would love to help in any way I can. So never feel 
like you can't jump into those DMs and ask questions. That is really, really awesome. Um, and I will have all of your links in the show notes, but seriously, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's it for today's episode of Role Play Grow. To check out the show notes, you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. To keep up with every episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave me a review. Reviews are one of the best ways to help a newer podcast get up off the ground. To follow me on Twitter, you can either find me at lightheartadv for our business account or at KetraWCR to see me tweet about other things like my dog and World of Warfare. You can also find us as Lightheart Adventures on both Instagram and Patreon. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week on Role Play Grow.